1: Hello, my darlings, it's me, Anna Mann, actress, singer, welder, gotta have a backup. I've been in everything, my darlings, and I've been cut from most things. However, I will not be cut from one thing, and that is my own podcast, Talking to Actors with Anna Mann, where I meet those rarest of creatures, the actors. That's Talking to Actors on The Great Big Owl.
2: The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Out of Character, a podcast about sketch and character comedy. My name is Alex Lynch. In this show, I chat to writers and performers from the world of sketch and character comedy, find out what made them venture into it, talk about their characters, maybe meet some of their characters, and just generally shoot the breeze, and more importantly, have a laugh. My special guest for episode three is the writer-performer Richard Soames.
1: Hi, Alex. How are you doing?
2: I am not too bad, mate. Are you staying alert, Richard?
1: I've always alert, Alex. I was born alert. <laughs> I've remained alert through my life. Uh, it, make, it makes every day relaxing incredibly difficult. <laughs> so I'm, I'm well prepared for this scenario.
2: That's great. Well, what a better way to escape from it than... Having an interview about what it's like to work in comedy
1: to be honest <laughs> stay, stay alert is a very good piece of advice for a career in comedy <laughs> yeah.
2: you are known as a uh, well for, for what of a better word a a nice guy of comedy, but that that is a character isn't it because you're you're actually pretty horrible, aren't you?
1: <laughs> I'm an awful
2: bastard. You kick puppies to, to death just because they're there,
1: don't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know I'm awful. I, I will go on record and happily <laughs> say that I abuse all sorts of pets. Um, no, that I removed that from the record. Um, I, I Yeah, I've sort of developed a, an on-stage persona, I suppose, mm. uh, which is, it. you know, it is a. I would say it is based on a version of myself, <laughs> but a version of myself very much turned up. I think when when you're doing character stuff, especially, uh, there's this there's a kind of, you know, there's huge range with what you could do. Like you could be anything. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there's always this the sort of tr- the the idea of truth and comedy being, you know, a really uh, satisfying uh, and comedically strong thing that something from your life is truthful is actually incredible, is, is like very funny. Um, And I think my solo stuff kind of leans more into that. Mm. So I end up doing, yeah, like, I guess, like, like you've sort of said, like the nice, uh, leaning into my niceness, but I guess exaggerating that uh, for comic effect. And it makes me like very low status on stage, which is something I very much enjoy.
2: I really, you enjoy the low status character.
1: Yeah, it's funny, uh, it's because... I also play uh, Lord Fear in Nightmare Live. Yes. Uh, and I was also a horrible, evil wizard. The Darkomancer in John Henry uh, Falls, the story beast. Uh, so I played that character. Well, I put both of those characters in there and they're both utter dicks. <laughs> yeah. I, and I love, I love doing them because I think I have the license to then be completely, A, antagonistic, but B, like really let go of... Me as a person, yeah, and just become this complete <laughs> um, monster, yeah, on stage. I've said some terrible things as those characters.
2: When you when you did your show, Richard Soames do, does the right thing, which was your yes. first solo show, right? It was, yeah, that was twenty fifteen, yeah. And when you and because you, you lean into that whole what it is to be nice and doing the right thing and everything, did you almost do this show in a sort of were you a bit annoyed by people calling you that because some people don't like to be called nice but it's a very vanilla term but i mean were you kind of a bit i'm sick of being this and i want to do a show about how it's more complex than that or were you just always kind of like this is me and this is this is the show i want to make because it encapsulates who i am
1: so there's definitely something like there's something that really amuses me about um understated or boring comedy i know that sounds really Weird, but like uh, what I mean by that is like uh, really low stakes comedy, I find very funny. Um, as in, uh, you know, it you can still talk about high stakes and big uh stories, but just uh, o- over a very like low status kind of um background, like someone having a like a car chase on you know bikes, I, I find very funny, <laughs> yeah. Um if that makes sense, so but so I kind of there's something in like I guess doing a show about being vanilla is quite I find that quite funny and I find it quite interesting because you're kind of exploring you know something that is on the surface quite mundane and the opposite of kind of what a traditional like stand-up should be. But to be honest, the the like the core of that show actually came out of me or oh, having a, a situation in my life which was. Where I felt like morally compromised, um, and I'd sort of, you know, I'd grown up thinking I was I was nice, and I I always tried to to be friendly to people, um, and this kind of this uh, event actually made me kind of genuinely question, well, how how nice actually am I? Yeah. Where does morality and niceness kind of overlap? And because you can definitely be nice while still being like an awful person, um, so so it was. Yeah, it was kind of like it, that was what it was born out of. It was exploring that.
2: Can you tell the listeners what that event was? There were two things that happened. One was I
1: accidentally murdered a goldfish. Um, <laughs> so it it was it was actually I caused the death of I inadvertently caused the death of three goldfish. Is is what I meant <laughs> when I said. <laughs>
2: You're a mass murderer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A mass fish murderer.
1: I told you, I abused pets. It's a callback. Me and my housemates, um, when we were living together, had uh, had two goldfish. Yeah. Mine was called the Count, uh, there was another one called Saucy Jack, and we just introduced a new fish to the tank called Long John. Who got bullied immediately by the count? <laughs> who started chasing him around the tank and like biting his his fins? Shit! And, and, yeah, it was, it was like it was ridiculous, and so we sort of like tried to separate them, and then came and then we, and we came back down after a, a little while of trying to just let them get on with things, and we couldn't see Long John; he'd like disappeared. Oh my god! And then I noticed he was like trapped in a shell, so I. I like I like got a chisel because he was he was like stuck in the shell. He'd been like chased in there by the cow. Jesus camp. Christ! So I grabbed a chisel, broke open the shell, and to try and free him. Uh, but the damage to the shell, I think, probably led to him very shortly afterwards floating upside down on the, the top of the. Top of the water
2: and it's so awful because you were doing it to you it was a kindness
1: well indeed indeed Alex I was being nice I was being kind uh, and and yeah ultimately but yeah I didn't like it didn't literally like go through the, <laughs> the fish it wasn't that graphic um, it was actually far more disturbing oh. uh, to, to see a fish that was like I guess deaf at this point and flapping around it wasn't very nice uh, anyway. So that was the first fish death and then the second one happened. We came back um like a few months later we just came back from work or whatever and I came into the kitchen and the floor was flooded uh, and the fish tank was like half empty oh, Jesus. and there were and the two the two fish the count and saucy Jack, were just freaking out um and there was like so the tank had started leaking uh, so we We got them both out, but in the process of getting them out, finding the problem, fixing it and putting it, putting them back in, Saucy Jack had like, had, unfortunately it was too much for him. And so he sort of died from stress. (laughs) Um, And then I sort of realised what had caused the leak. And I realised it was from three months earlier when someone took a chisel to the fish tank (laughs) and had caused a slight crack, which had got worse (laughs) over time. So that was the second fish murder, and then like so, then we, we you know I was left with the count, who was the only fish without a soul. Uh, Pun intended. The <laughs> oh, that's pretty good actually. Yeah, it was. It was. It was not intended, but I wish it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, he. So I was left with him, and honestly, like, it, it was just. It was. It was just basically. I was waiting for him to die. And I just, I decided uh, with my housemate, like we just, he because he, he'd been such a, a bully for so long, and he'd li- he'd lived for many years at this point, he'd had a long happy fish life. So we just decided the next day we were gonna we're gonna take him to Hampstead Heath and free him in the ponds, uh, which is something you are not <laughs> allowed to do, uh, and I don't I don't condone that behaviour uh, in any way. Um, uh, however, we came down the next morning. Uh, to find that the count had actually killed himself, so it was just his time.
2: Oh, no. um, oh God! But it did
1: sort of mean that he took the one, the one chance I had to deal with his fate. He took it away from.
2: Well, because he was kind of going, "Oh fuck! You're leaving me in the hands of Richard Soames, are you?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See? Oh, Christ! It's all—it's all an all
1: act, Alex. I'm horrible. I'm an horrible person. Oh no. <laughs> um. oh
2: wow wow that's
1: so that sort of made me question everything
2: Um, (laughs) well that's um oh and I think that segues us neatly into you've just become a father recently haven't you oh
1: wow that is a segue yeah (laughs) oh I reluctantly approve that segue um yeah I have and it's uh it's mad it's great it's awesome it's hard uh, but it's brilliant.
2: I love you say the kind of, I don't know, like it's a kind of murder mystery thing of someone discovers there was a chisel hole from sort of piecing it together. Really,
1: really poor version of Cluedo. <laughs> yeah. Com- Richard Soames with the chisel by the fish tank. <laughs>
2: That's like one of those, you know when uh, you get those board games that they can't do the actual name of it, so they do like a knockoff version and call it like, Murder Manor or something like that. You know, it's that kind of... It's like the Little or Aldi version of... <laughs> that is so true. I, uh, I saw some like,
1: brilliant versions of those. Uh, I was, went on holiday to North Devon. Um, there was a Jenga, which was like Tower Block. Um, and then there was, there was a Guess Who yeah. equivalent, which was Who's the Person or something like that. It was just... A really, like, pathetic attempt at <laughs> someone coming up with an
2: alternative name. Oh, Very interesting. Oh, dear. Having a child is hard enough anyway. How is it in this time? How are you finding... Uh... In lockdown, you mean? Yeah, yeah, and just in... I, I, I think yeah. you, you said to me, it's nice to have someone who is blissfully ignorant of the world and what's going on. It's kind of, it is
1: kind of awesome. I do heartily recommend getting a child for lockdown, guys. <laughs> um, the next time this happens, um, plan plan ahead. No, um, it, it's, it's awesome having somebody in your household right now who has no clue uh, how How scary it is out there, yeah, and you know that. So that's really refreshing and lovely. And also, my buddy Ed Rowett, who's a a brilliant um, comedy writer, Mm. he he said something that he had found oddly comforting. So even though he doesn't live here or you know he he's not with my son, he um he was really comforted by the fact that uh, my son would look back on this and it would just be something from his childhood. He would have no memory of it. Um, and I kind of think that is quite comforting to kind of to know i think that's um that's quite it's quite nice to know that because you can feel it can feel so uh anxiety making and apocalyptic mm. right now yeah so actually just to, ha- to have that perspective of you know there will be a future after this of course and you know life will go on because life always does in
2: some form and your um next show well it's it's on the subject of becoming a dad, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes. So it's called cool. It's a working title, but the working title is uh is bastard. Um and it kind of it's also the opportunity, again, for me to to be a bit of a bastard on stage, be be uh a not nice person. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of trying to do the opposite of what the Well, I suppose it's actually kind of weirdly exactly the same as what the other show was trying to do as well. Um just exploring like you know just because I may maybe present as a uh, as a nice person uh, there's actually a lot of hate inside me <laughs> and yeah, and this all so this so this is sort of two things in in this show which kind of make it what it's about one of one is um how after becoming a father, there's this sort of expectation that everything everything is amazing you know everything seems brilliant you know you can look at the world through new childlike eyes for the first time um but uh i have found it very different i have like the opposite feeling of like oh god what a terrible world we're living in i don't trust anybody i've got to keep constantly crossing the road for fear that someone's going to take my child so it's like it's kind of you know irrational but uh true
2: but I, I'm sure like you must have spoken to other your friends who are dads in your similar situation that uh, they must feel the same in some way definitely you know I mean that's definitely uh you, you you seek solace in
1: people going through the same things obviously as you and yeah actually well my 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 writing partner um who's uh John Henry Fall who's the, uh, the story beast I mentioned earlier he uh, also has it as a little one at this point and so it's kind of nice that we're both sort of going through becoming dads at the same time
2: you only had a few months apart didn't you
1: yeah so he's, he's uh, 3 months younger uh, than than my sons, and they're That's both amazing. they're both they're both boys as well so there is the outside chance that they will form a a double, a double act act. in about 18 years and yeah. take it to the Edinburgh Fringe and uh, have the exact same life that we did.
2: <laughs> I hope they don't. <laughs> I hope they don't. Um, I mean, it's because it's, I was going to ask how writing this show, how your sort of, well, your thought process and your creative processes since having a baby, how that's like sort of changed in
1: the mm. five
2: years since you were doing the other one. But even if we're going back as far as to when you were in the when you were in the beta mouths and you were doing sketch, like yeah, how much would you say it's it's changed in I don't know, your creative process, your thought patterns, your what you want to write about, what you want to what stories you want yeah. to tell.
1: I mean it I think it always your writing your approach to writing is always kind of developing. Or I've certainly found that I, I haven't like stumbled upon a perfect writing process for me personally at all. It all just like it falls out of my brain in different ways yes and i have i have no like i have no way of knowing uh like what the best thing for me to do is um i think like when we did the when we were doing the like way back when our first show or the first show i was in was uh, the bunker in 2010 and that show you know was was so much about... Well, weirdly, it was about the apocalypse, which is kind of how everything feels right now. This is your joke for the day, citizens. Knock, knock. Who's there? The endless nothing of the outside. Ha, <laughs> ha, Funny and true, citizens. But there's one specific thing, because, like, the, one of the sketches that we did in our in our, like, final, not our final, final show, but one of our final shows as the as the Beater mouse was about, uh, it was called Dads on Tour. Mm. And it was about kind of the fear of becoming a father. So,
2: and, you know, that was, how many, how many years ago that was now? So, yeah, so, like, six years ago. The first time I saw the Beater Males mouse was, because uh, I'd met you uh, briefly at, at one of those mixed bill nights, and then I came to the beta mills at Brighton Fringe and that was the first sketch of the show. And it was I, I, I was I was sold from the, <laughs> from the from the beginning of that. It was just it was so funny. See
1: them on holiday,
2: getting in a box of course. Good Lovely family, guys. Heads turning as we check the mirrors at the traffic lights. Got be too careful now, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> then you Drive on down to the A420s camera says so watch your speed. Watch your speed. Cause we've got to make the real Hell Festival by half past five. Well, we have some lovely beers. Well, I should say oh, yes. Dad's on tour. Dad's on tour. Very bleak
1: picture. Um, <laughs> of what it's like to become a dad and the small pleasures you take. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. in drinking at real ale festivals uh, and and driving new cars um, and that's my life now Alex um, <laughs> it is 100% true <laughs> it all comes full circle doesn't it yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and we wonder what we used to talk about when we
2: were alive <laughs> <laughs> all stretchings if Dads on tour, we'll drink till we're tired. Dads on tour, in bed by night. Dads on tour, we're missing our children. Dads on tour, they grew up so far. So I guess if we were to sort of go back to, yeah, I suppose really to Edinburgh, the beat like How did that all start so when you say that was your first show were the beat-a-mails already going and then you joined them or did you were you in the original lineup so i
1: met uh john henry at at university and we formed a a kind of a group who did a couple of like uh, one-off shows at the brighton fringe um and then i i went and did a a year abroad because i was studying languages and he uh, graduated the next year, uh, and his he had uh, sort of friends in Jersey who he had grown up with, and they uh, took a took a show up to the Edinburgh Fringe in two thousand and eight. Yeah, um, called called uh, Paper Bag Equals Yes, which is a terrible name. <laughs> um, and and they won't mind me saying,
2: I love sketch group
1: names. It's just uh, it's just <laughs> that one that one is just so nothing It was it like they won't mind me saying this uh, it was uh, it was an absolute hot mess <laughs> so, but, but um but then i joined in it and i kind of made everything fine <laughs> no so yeah so then they came back the next year as the beta males picnic right um and and i obviously i knew john henry before and there were some lineup changes and so i auditioned and and joined the next year i actually joined I think, two months before Edinburgh. There were auditions. Oh, yes. A very uh, laid-back auditioning process. Ah, Um, interesting. Yeah, well, we took ourselves incredibly seriously, (laughs) Alex, (laughs) is the the honest truth of it. Of course. Uh, Far too seriously. (laughs) Um, And that turned out to be our undoing. Was it paper bag? Equals yes, yeah. I mean, to be fair, Alex, I can't talk because I I took up a sketch group the the year after that. Mm -hmm. So the... So 2009, when when Beatles' picnic were doing their first show, our show was called "Short Intention Span," which is <laughs> kind of a pun, <laughs> but to what end? It, like, what does that mean? What do you mean you have a, a, an intention span, like a span of what you intend things you intend to do? You have a short version of
2: that i love how you're still trying to work it out 10 or am, 12 I... years on but yeah
1: i don't know what i was thinking like just call it comedy fun hour or something i,
2: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the thing that's better than sketch group names are improv group names where they're like practically whole sentences
1: yeah <laughs> there is some real shockers
2: out there i remember when i was um when i was with uh, my group which we were called handsome weeping boys in the end, which was that's a good name. I like that name. It was a good name, but the contenders the day before we were all in Facebook Messenger. Send. I mean, it was a whole day of just sending out names, and <laughs> they were all terrible. And at one point, they ended up being like too much custard, Mildred. Oh, that's a too much custard, Mildred. Something that like is, that. That's that's sort of beautiful, <laughs> though, in a way.
1: Like but, if that if that was like a postmodern. <laughs> Improv troupe—that would be like the perfect name. Just <laughs> yeah. completely challenge and um, and pick out, pick apart yeah. the nature of an improv show. That would be brilliant.
2: I mean, I told you the story about handsome weeping boys, didn't I? Oh, sorry, no, no, yeah, you did. I didn't think. You had... In Japan, it's a taboo to uh, cry, and apparently, these ah. Japanese businessmen. Before they go and give presentations, they're shown a slideshow of sad things to make them cry to get it out their system, and there are these uh, oh. and there are these peop- these men who are there whose job it is to wipe away the tears. And when you translate their job title, it is handsome weeping boys. That's
1: amazing, isn't it? That's so good. It's that's such a fascinating culture. As well, isn't it? Cause mm. I, I know, I know, I don't, I've, I've never visited, um, I've never visited anywhere further east than India, um, but I, I remember, I remember watching it was a Sue Perkins show. Oh was, yes, I remember went, that. And she went and she was observing the culture of shame in Japan, I think, and it was she it was it was this it was this leadership business uh, leadership course. Of people who I think had failed a business and they were basically uh, they basically had to be submissive for a weekend and then they'd graduate yeah um, with with like a degree in humility I guess <laughs> um, but that but that, yeah there's that is that's so fascinating mm. isn't it I mean I think honestly we could probably do with some some of that in the West a bit more shame a bit more humility. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Than that.
0: Friends with friends, and we're on Twitter at FriendsWF.
2: So, my question for you, Richard Soames. Sure. It's a lockdown theme question. Okey-doke. If you had to isolate yourself with any TV comedy character, who would it be?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. I was not prepared for this. Thank you. Immediately, I think uh, Tim from Spaced. Because he's... That is like... That was the show I watched. uh, And I was like, I want to do comedy. I'm with you, mate. I'd always kind of been interested in comedy, I guess. But that was the show. I watched that show and I was like, this. I want to do this. And so I guess Tim has always been quite close to my heart. And like, obviously... Uh, Daisy was obviously an amazing character as well, but I think as a, as a young angsty male, I probably uh... it, that's
2: it. T- Tim's a he's a grumpy geek playing PlayStation, eating Jaffa cakes, and taking cheap speed. Yeah, exactly. So, uh... That's basically
1: take the, take the drugs <laughs> out, and that's my
2: childhood. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm exactly the same. That is exactly the character I would go for because it was that show. Uh, in terms of. My writing, that was the show that made me go, Oh, I really want to write something like this because The Simpsons was the sort of that kind of film references and all quite um surreal well, the, and a bit out there was uh, well that was the inspiration for them, wasn't it? But was it? it was, was for
1: space, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Exactly. But it's the thing with space made me go, Oh, Britain can do that as well. because It yeah, felt like a sure. very American thing.
1: And yeah, I'm, definitely that that show I think you know it's it's kind of it feels now that everyone it's now that it's like everyone's favorite show or certainly i don't know if it is actually, but it feels like oh everyone loved that show now, I think at the time it felt very cult and very special. There's also there's also the the very selfish thing of like that no that's my thing you can't have that
2: yeah I mean there is there is definitely an element of that that is true which is
1: a very which is a very Tim view of the world.
2: Uh, improvisation. Boom did that come after sketch or with it or how did it kind of do you feel that they both complement each other what how because you're because you teach improv as well as as do it professionally i do yeah what was the sort of um what's the word origin yeah that's the word that is the word what was the origin of that um the origin of that was
1: uh well that was improv what you just witnessed there improv Hmm. uh (laughs) i came up with the word Yes, Anded, your need for a word. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I so I started improvising in or learning to improvise, I should say, uh, in 2011. So this was like we'd done two beta male shows by this point. Yes. So it's still quite early on in our career, um, and it massively improved our on stage. <laughs> uh performance like so much i remember we were very well the beatmas as a group have always been very writing focused yeah and so we would drill lines and we'd stick religiously to scripts and i think we kind of really needed improv to kind of shake us up a bit and it was only because it was rob broderick who the brilliant abandon who knew uh david shaw who had just come over and started uh long form improv classes um and rob suggested we we give it a try and we just uh and it was it was great so we were in the very first round of those classes at a time when long form improv didn't really well it that's not fair it 100 did exist in in london uh prior to that but it's a it's a huge scene now yeah um And I think, and that's that is you know predominantly down to that first wave of, of uh, of improv uh, improvisers who kind of took those classes. So we felt I think very fortunate to have done that, and I I personally loved it, and I got a lot out of it, and I kind of got I got invited to be part of the Monkey Toast players, and uh, I've been able to play with some brilliant improvisers who I've learned so much from over the years and fundamentally like I I I love the core principle of improv of it's about trusting your scene partners on stage it's about um but it's also about making the your scene partner look good it's such a generous you know um medium and I think the the best the best the best improvisers who are the most selfless uh people and improvisers uh, i've i've ever met so i, I yeah I, I love i love it for that reason i would encourage everyone to everyone who's interested in sketch comedy or comedy generally to do improv i'd actually encourage everyone to do improv because i'm biased and i i this is where uh, paul foxcroft who's a brilliant improviser uh who and who runs his own classes this is where where he ends up saying uh it's not a cult. It's definitely <laughs> a cult. Um, because you do you do sound like you've been convinced.
2: yeah I mean I I did improv and I went through exactly that of at the beginning I was very kind of reticent about it and as soon as my first class was over was basically like oh I can't I can't do this I can't (laughs) do this and then by the third class suddenly something kind of clicked and I was obsessed and then we were all we (laughs) were all everyone in my group we were then all about going to improv shows joining all the classes uh, it, it 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 did yeah. feel like you were part buying, of something
1: buying the merchandise
2: <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> becoming religious <laughs> advocates for life yeah we've got you we've got preaching you. <laughs> to others telling them to do improv <laughs> yeah
1: spreading the good word yeah yeah yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah no it's all it does it definitely does feel like that there's a brilliant uh, bojack horseman episode oh, where yeah. uh, todd joins a an improv mm. um, cult. Yeah. And it is just, just—it's. I felt so seen after <laughs> watching that
2: episode. Because one thing I'm just quite interested about is sketch seems to be a, something a lot of people do w- when they're starting out or uh, Mm. usually in comedy it's a kind of it's a way in isn't it it's kind of finding your voice finding your comedic voice yeah do you think i don't know because obviously you were a group for so long and then you've been doing your solo stuff for the last five years now do you feel you'd be able to like go back to sketch or slot back into it or do you feel that that was sort of good for that time
1: well alex they they say it's a young man's game Right. Um, sketch. Sketch comedy. Uh, I, I always, whenever I sort of consider this point, I am reminded of a conversation I had with David Reed, mm. uh, who was in the Penny Dreadfuls, um, who were an Edinburgh sketch group who we massively admired. We loved their stuff so much. Um, I mean, we we were very like we had. There were Pappies and the Pennies were the kind of the two big sketch groups there were also idiots and ants and various other uh, brilliant groups but i think pappies and pennies for us were the two where we were like oh that's we want to do that and i remember david said that like sketch is such a great way to figure out mistakes with your friends mm. <laughs> and i thought that was a really good way of putting it because it is it is a really um friendly environment you You share the wins and you share the losses with each other uh it's not like it's not like uh doing stand-up where you are completely on your own um you you know that you're going to go on stage and even if the audience are silent (laughs) you know that the other the other guys in or or girls in the group will like they will be on stage with me and they will experience we will experience it together I mean, it's a
2: solidarity yeah
1: exactly and you kind of and you learn so much from it and it's fun uh and i just yeah i i i think it's such a great thing to do to learn uh when you're starting out like that said like i also i, I still love it it's still my favorite my favorite shows are still sketch shows you know i still i love key and peel like i loved watching mitchell and webb as a kid as well. And I just, I love, it it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be, you know, just when you're a teenager, obviously. Well,
2: no, I I mean, you look at, you look at people like, well, The Fast Show, Harry and Paul, goodness gracious me. I think think
1: a lot of it depends on pace. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of uh, what is traditionally seen as sketch comedy is rushing about, putting on, making ridiculous costume changes and trying to do everything uh, and sweating through your clothes, and all of that, and sharing a flat uh, in Edinburgh uh, that's got you know mucus dripping off the walls, and uh, um, all of that, and you're like you just can't do that in your thirties. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's sort of the 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 way it has always kind of been. But you know, there's no, there's literally no reason why people couldn't do it. It's just that it's hard to to make it financially viable. Sadly, I think and yeah and and this is you know the other thing is you know myself and and john henry still call each other up and ask uh, each other about ideas and and bounce and bounce ideas off each other and and stuff and i think if you're able to whatever semblance it uh, it takes after after in the life after sketch um Mm. it's it's lovely to have those working relationships and kind of and uh, and be able to explore them and use them.
2: You've now bought sketch, character, storytelling, even stand-up, uh, and a bit of improv. You've sort of bought it all together in your solo work now. Right, yeah. Did that happen organically?
1: So I did my... How have we never done now? I did my... We've already talked about the morality show, the Does the Right Thing show. And then, like, the last... The show I did after that was called Let's Make a Movie, where I attempted to make a movie with the audience in an hour. Um, I decided to do that show because I hadn't had the best time doing the live circuit on my own. Again, I kind of, I think, I guess I kind of missed being, like, in a team. And I think, I, I much though, as though I love the craft of creating a, a solo show, I don't love doing solo performance, um, to be honest. I, I, I love doing my one-hour shows, but I don't particularly like... I've discovered that I don't particularly like gigging on my own. I find it quite a lonely uh, existence. So yeah, so with Let's Make a Movie, I just wanted to have fun on stage. And I basically remember, I I I find that I am having the most fun on stage when I am improvising um, with other people. And I remember when I was a a kid, which is what this show was about, was making movies as a child and now trying to make movies uh, as an adult, I just wanted to capture that kind of sense of f- pure fun when you're just like, oh, let's do this, and that will look shit, but don't worry, that will be really funny, and then, you know, and we can work as a team. So I basically forced the audience to be my improv group in that show <laughs> uh, and have fun on stage <laughs> with me um, because it, I, it was, you know, I was just... I, at that point, I just got to this this place of not really enjoying my own comedy uh when it was just me and I think that was such a an unpleasant and kind of dangerous place to be
2: especially if you're not really used to it
1: yeah well exactly I was still very much finding my voice at that point and not not 100% on kind of how I felt about doing solo comedy and so it was really nice to just have this show which was like every day I just get to make up a stupid fun thing, and I I really love doing it. <laughs> and it also helped. I had like two brilliant techs on that show. I had Damien Robertson, who's a fantastic improv uh, technician, and Elise Bramich, who's brilliant.
2: Uh, yeah, because you had stuff being edited as the show was going on, didn't yeah, you? Yeah,
1: well, Elise was great. She was she was literally like. I had a video camera, a live camera on stage and she was capturing footage from that through the show and then stitching it together in this film uh, at the very end which we then played back to the audience. Yeah, it was a brilliant show, Alex.
2: I do love that (laughs) show because also just the fact that you actually do, you do what you say. There are so many shows where it's kind of like people set themselves up for I'm going to do this and then somehow it turns out they don't do the thing that they're going to do. It's a bit of a kind of red herring. It becomes about something else, but you actually do make a movie. <laughs> yeah, that is true. You say, you do what the poster says. It's it's brilliant. <laughs> so this is the final section of the podcast, and it is a chain reaction type concept called. Change of character. Okay, that sort of works. <laughs> oh, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry, it's not short intention span. Yeah, it's no, it's no short intention span, mate. <laughs> Which works and means something. So, you've been gifted this by Anna Morris, my previous guest. Okay, exciting. Right, your character is Sir Hilary the Sixth. Blimey. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, what comes to mind? Um, for some reason,
1: even though the, the even though the the word fox is within that name, I think of a goose. Um, I don't know. So I think of like a very. I think this would be in my head. Sir Hil- Sir Hilary Cankle Fox <laughs> the Sixth is like a really ropey, uh, free fringe character comedian. Who does the festival every year? Uh, and it's kind of, uh, it's sort of. It would be depressing if if the character wasn't so rich and well defined, because it's such a. It's it's basically this is a character. So the the comedian who plays the character dresses up in a goose outfit with a like a a, a ducal kind of um, period. Uh, dress Mm -hmm. uh, and basically i think in my head they they read uh outdated laws from a book and that's the whole act so
2: (laughs) the whole act is outdated laws is there what what what's the is is there a punchline to this is there a is there a payoff what's the no, it's
1: kind of the if you ever, if you've been to Edinburgh, you might be familiar with the an old man dressed as a gorilla sits in a chair for an hour. Yes, show. I it's have never of,
2: seen it, but I assume it's that. So
1: Hillary Cangel Fox the sixth sixth has achieved similar cult status uh, <laughs> every year, going up to the festival and reading outdated laws as if they are now. Um, and yeah, he's he's a he's a character who's caught in like a a time vortex where every every year comes back, reads the same outdated laws.
2: It never changes, it never... No. Nope. There's not like a kind of... Uh, the next year's like a, re- a redux. Same
1: thing every time. It's a curse. It's basically a curse. It's a curse for a man. And is he reviewed favourably? Oh, no. No, he doesn't get <laughs> reviews. It's, <laughs> it's Edinburgh. It's the free fringe. Of course he doesn't get reviews.
2: <laughs> Any longevity in this? Uh, I mean,
1: no... But obviously, yes, because it's a curse and he has to do it every year. He lost a bet a long time ago. Um, yeah.
2: So it's a goose. So let me just... Sorry, so let me just... Uh... Yeah, yeah, no, no, go on. Let's, let's, let's talk it out. Let's talk it out. So, so, so Hillary Cackle Fox the sixth, is a goose.
1: You know what, Alex? You know, you know what I've just realised as well? The reason I've done this is because... Paul, uh, Paul Foxcroft and I did a, a play a few years ago, uh, which was written by Briony Redman. Brilliant uh, farce comedy. And we developed we developed a character while we were rehearsing for that uh, show called Duke Goosington <laughs> who whose his whole bit was that Paul would set up like a stack of cards or like a priceless Ming vase on a shelf. Yeah, yeah. And Duke Goosington would enter and. Look incredibly haughty, right? And then move over to the priceless ornament, knock it off, <laughs> and, sh- and say,
2: Deal with it,
1: <laughs> and then he'd leave. <laughs> yeah, and he was just like, he was just basically an asshole, <laughs> uh, sort of monarch who would, or I guess you know.
2: And this was pre that
1: goose game. Oh, this was 100%. We were definitely <laughs> the inspiration behind that ridiculous goose game. Um, oh. I think it was. I think it was before that. I think it must have been before that. But, uh, that but, yeah, sounds, I think that sounds amazing. Geese, yeah. geese as characters are quite <laughs> a very high status. So.
2: Fun, it's, it, it's funny you mentioned that because one of my... When I did a sort of... I did that dead air show, which is about a sort of oh, yeah. fake Radio 4 station kind of thing, and they had these adverts for shows, and there was loads of stuff that got cut. And there was one... You're right, it's a funny animal, because one of the show ideas I came up with was Boo and the Goose. It's a double made up of your sort of classic Oxbridge sketch comedian, and then just a goose... Brilliant! That's that is brilliant. So it's like he'll be sort of doing a kind of, "Hello, we're Boo and the Goose, and uh, how, how, what 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 have we got today?" And then the goose just goes, "Ah!" <laughs> and, <that's, laughs> and that's literally it. That's fantastic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is hilarious, though. That's such. A, I've watched that. I would watch that. Thank you.
2: <laughs> so that is a that's a great character. So it's a goose that comes on stage, reads out outdated laws as if they are current. For an hour. Don't forget that he's dressed in like 17th century uh, ducal outfit. Yes. So he's a man dressed as a goose dressed in ducal outfit. Yeah. Wow. That's the award-winning character that you asked for, Alex, isn't it? I love it. That's that's great. So can you please tell me the name of your character that you are going to give our next guest?
1: This is the name I would like you to, to give to the next person. Hit me. Uh, it is Crimble dingleshank
2: crimble dingleshank who is crimble dingleshank we shall find out in the next episode of out of character in the meantime thank you so much for coming on the show richard it's been such a pleasure having you likewise alex
1: thank you very much for having and, me and uh, you.
2: yeah me. Oh, this is now that see. This is where I am not sure how to end. You need you need an ending. I need I need some kind of ending. You need like a punchline. You need one of us to come up with something very funny. Can you get? Can you give me a a punchline to fade out on? Can that is the that is the <laughs> hardest thing you could possibly ask anyone
1: like come up with a punchline. The setup is come up with a punchline. line Crikey. What do you what do you want from me? unbelievable <laughs> this is this is just deal with it this is the end just deal with it this, this, this is the end
2: deal with it deal with it
1: there there's your punchline
2: that's very good thanks Richard <laughs>
1: Hello, I'm Tom, and I make a podcast where I log into celebrities' Amazon accounts.
2: It's called... What a brilliant idea for a pod. There's no original pods out there anymore, but this genuinely is... Oh, thanks, Ben Bailey-Smith. Anyway, it's called... This is good, isn't it? It's clever, this podcast. You should do more. Thanks, Kerry Godleyman. It's called... This is such a great idea, by the way. What a great podcast. Shappi you're too kind. The podcast
1: is it's called... It's biographical. Oh. You can get all sorts of information out of people. This is a very good idea. Thank you, Nick Helm. It's called My Mate Bought a Toaster. I'm going to listen to this podcast. Thanks, Alex Horn. Can you tell your friends?